This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Now, I want to get in the Word because it is Sunday morning, so if, if you will open uh, probably to the book of Judges, uh, I want to go to chapter number 1, and I'm going to read probably one verse from here, and we're going to kind of make a brushstroke of some stuff that I felt like the Lord began to speak to me. Actually, just I began to develop it after Gavin and I had had lunch together. And uh, man, the Lord began to speak to me concerning some things, and uh, I think that there are some pieces here that might help us a little bit in being able to prepare for work. I think what God is doing in the earth right now. I don't know about you, but I don't think He's finished yet. How many know that what the Word of God declares is that uh, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? But as truly as I live, saith God, all the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Touch your neighbor say, God's not finished yet. Tell somebody else, that don't sound like we're going to lose to me. <laughs> you might ought to touch another neighbor and say, you're not the biggest loser. <laughs> you're probably the biggest winner. You just don't know it yet. Now, probably the key, I think, to every book of the Bible is almost like uh, your house. You have hidden a key somewhere near your door, probably. Probably most of you have a key hidden in a little metal box under your grill, or it's under your downspout or up on a, uh, a windowsill, or it is under a rock that looks like a rock, but it's not a rock, or it's on a little nail under your porch. Probably be easy to find your key, right? <laughs> but the books of the Bible are much like that as well. And the book that precedes this is the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua opens by saying, Now Moses, my servant, is dead. Arise now, Joshua, and get ready to take the people into the promised land. How many know that Moses brought us out, but Joshua will bring us in? It's not an accident that the Hebrew name Joshua is Yeshua or the Hebrew name Jesus. So when I see in the book of Joshua, it start out by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. And, and that Joshua becomes the leader. What that speaks to me of is moving from the leadership of an old covenant paradigm. Come on, somebody. And to the leadership of a new covenant paradigm. Because how many know Moses brought us out with a rod? But Joshua will bring us in with a mercy seat. Oh, that's good news right there. Hallelujah. And as Pastor Gavin always, there's so much going on in the spirit here this morning with what's already been done that's right on the path of what I, I, I just got confirmation right and left of what I'm supposed to do this morning. But when, when, when God began to speak to Moses, uh, to, or when God began to raise up Joshua to enter into the promised land, how many know there was a whole lot of people that were willing to not go over? Matter of fact, there was two and a half tribes that said, we'll help you get yours, but we've chose to stay on this side. I don't know how I would feel a, another generation later when my grandchildren asked me, why would you decide to stay here? Why are we not living in the promised land? Say it another way. Why are we not living in the promises? Now, let me tell you that in the New Testament, the promised land is not heaven. Okay, let me try it over here. Hallelujah. <laughs> the fourth chapter of Hebrews tells us that the promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
And how many know when we get in the finished work of Jesus Christ and start to live out of that fullness, there is an outflow of milk and honey. And we start to live in houses we didn't build. We start to eat from vineyards we didn't plant. Come on, somebody. We start to, we start to enjoy the fruit of somebody else's work. How I many know we, we receive the work of Jesus and we live in that overflow? But how I many know a lot of people decided they didn't want to move? They wanted to live in the tent. Because how I many of you get used to living in a tent for 40 years? You don't know how to live in a house anymore. And when you get used to manna falling in the backyard, you don't know what's going on when the manna stops. And the miracle that was once happening is not happening anymore. Maybe it's because God's wanting to change your diet. Because if the manna stops, that means there must be some promised land fruit that's ready to be taken care of. Maybe that's where God's got us a little bit is in the shift to prepare us to say, you know what? That diet has ceased. Maybe there's something more God wants to do that we can receive from, that we can partake of some fruit of what it means to have the outflow of living in this promised land and being able to partake of what is ours in Christ because of what he's accomplished for us. So the shift of the book of Joshua is about moving from Moses to Yeshua. And powerful stuff could be preached from there. I'm going to move to the next book. And the book of Judges opens, and the key is right there at the beginning. Again, if you'll bring up my first scripture, which is Judges chapter 1, verse number 1. Uh, I think if, if you have that prepared, we can bring that up. Judges chapter 1, verse number 1. And I'm going to read to you from the New King James Version. It says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go first? to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them. So this, the book of Joshua opens by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. And now the book of Joshua is going to open by saying, now after the death of Yeshua. Now you say, well, this is crazy. It's really not. What happens after the death of Jesus? What happens after the death of Jesus is he releases in the new covenant 12 apostles to carry forth the judgment of what he exacted in his finished work. And in the book of Judges, there are 12 judges in tremendous parallel because what it's talking about in the book of Judges, and this will be the title of my message this morning, is ordinary people doing extraordinary things or just tame it, ordinary people. Because this book is full of ordinary people who start to exact a judgment that has been written. Will you bring up for me, I added this last night, I think Babette probably got to see Psalm 149. If you'll bring that up for me a moment, let me just kind of work with this a little bit. Psalm 149, and I'm going to read again from, uh, from uh, the message, or not the message, but I'm going to read from the New King James again. Psalm 149, we'll go into verse number 1. And it says this, Now praise the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Now let me just stop and unpack this. I'm going to teach a little bit, and then you all, I've been around that you know, I'm probably going to preach here a little bit, but i got to get some groundwork laid. He said, sing unto the Lord a new song. Now, to me, the new song is not the latest hit. 
Matter of fact, even when Jeremiah started prophesying, behold, I do a new thing. He wasn't talking about the newest fad to hit the church. He was talking about the new thing that he would do, which was the new covenant. And how many know in the new covenant, he does make all things new. His mercies are new every morning. There's a new Jerusalem. Come on. There's a new praise. There's a new, come on somebody. There's mercies that are new every morning. There's a new creature. So he said, sing unto the Lord a new song. I believe in the last 20 years, the shift of the church has been to move towards, I believe, a clearer and clearer understanding of the new covenant. How many know that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one? As a matter of fact, when he comes into this next part of it, he says, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Zion also is a uh, iconic word to me that speaks of the new covenant because Hebrews, the 12th chapter says, for you did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to fear and trembling. You did not come to a God who says, stay away, that if you touch the edge of the mountain, you will be thrust through with the dark. You did not come to that mountain where Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You did not come to that mountain. That mountain, how many of you know, was Mount Sinai where the law was given. Touch your neighbor, say, that's not where we're going. But then he says this, but you are come. He didn't say you were marching there. He didn't say some glad morning after you pass away, you can go to Zion. He said, for you are come to Mount Zion. Because Mount Zion, in contrast, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, is the opposite of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the old covenant. Mount Zion is the new covenant. So if we're singing a new song, we're singing from a new dimension, hallelujah, of not what we're coming to, but what we've already got. I believe there needs to be a a real update in some of our music. And and I thank God that it is coming. But the the reality of it is what I'm saying is that, that he said, sing unto the Lord a new song. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. In other words, when you start, something happens when you start to realize what covenant you're under and that this covenant is really more predicated or based on what he, how many of the old covenant is thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. God said, here's the new covenant that I'll make. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. How many of we just need to get in the I will? Hallelujah. I'm going to write my name. I'm going to, hallelujah. Your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. The old covenant was about a law you had to keep. And the new covenant is about receiving a life that will keep you. In the old covenant, we lived out of rules to what we thought was an austere God who was a slave driver. But in the new covenant, we discover him as Abba. He is Father God. I just preached Father's Day at my home church. And the honor that we ought to realize is that it's an incredible shift in the new covenant when Jesus came to introduce him, not as just Jehovah, but he's Abba. Come on, somebody. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. When I think about Abba, I had the privilege of having a really good dad. 
Many of you may not have. So I have got a pretty good perspective of what it means to have a good father. And can I tell you that it was my father's pleasure to see his children blessed. It was his pleasure to see them healed. We were talking in the office about the power of God and the, and the, the need to return to the power of God. And I, I was telling Gavin, I said, I knew that when my dad would get home from work at midnight, he worked a second shift, but my dad was a man of faith. I mean, this guy had a lot of faith, but I knew when he came home from work, even if I was feeling bad, I was probably going to get healed. So I knew that as soon as dad got, I mean, dad wanted to give us something. We need to start thinking like that is that God is not making us jump through a bunch of hoops. He's Abba. He wants, come on somebody. But I don't think we realize the power of praise and worship in the midst of that. I don't know how far I'm going to get this morning. Hallelujah. But I don't think we realize the power of it. I don't know about you all. I'm old enough now. I've got some grandbabies. I got three little girls. We had two boys, and we've got one that's 13, one that's about seven or eight, and we got one that's four. And if these, these gals ever figured out the power of hugs and kisses to Pappy, they own Pappy. And when they come to Pappy's house, what happens at Pappy's house stays at Pappy's house. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes we think about, you know, they'll ask dad for, they'll ask, uh, you know, sometimes their mom and dad will say, ask Pap. (laughs) You need to mention that to Pap when you're around Pap. Uh, The youngest one, she wanted a little, one of those little battery powered cars. I bought every one of them, one of those little battery powered cars for Christmas when they got old enough to drive them. And the little one came to me, she said, Pappy, I want a mini car. I want a pink mini cataract. A cataract escarade. It took me a long time to find this cataract escarade because it was out of stock. But I promise you, I went above and beyond to find, I searched the internet high and low till I found a cataract escarade. And I ordered some special mini stickers just to be sure it had enough mini on it. Are y'all hearing what I'm talking about? Now, how many know it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? And sometimes when we praise and worship and we just start to care about him a little bit, it is his good pleasure to bless us and to give us the kingdom. And I think that ought to take us to another level of faith is when we realize this is Abba I'm talking to. He's not trying to trick me. He's not trying to withhold anything from me. As a matter of fact, he's probably more anxious to talk to me than I am to him. Hallelujah. Because we've been taught that he's this vicious, austere old man that you need to fear and stay away from. But when you really get to know him, he's nothing like what they told you he was. He's a good, good father. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to get too bogged down here, but let me go on a little bit. Let, Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds from the posture of rest. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hands. How many know the two-edged sword, excuse me, is in Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is quick and is powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. The context again of Hebrews chapter 4 is not just any word that's life-giving and powerful. It is the word that flows from rest that is life-giving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder between soul and spirit as a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. And he goes on to say, uh, a two-edged sword in their hand, watch this, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. 
to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. Look at these last few words. This honor have all the -the glow-in-the-dark preachers. This honor have all of his saints. Now, now before you get your mind bogged down on, we're going to step back and we're going to call down fire from heaven and we're going to destroy Washington, D.C. or whatever city we're mad at. Matter of fact, Jesus rebuked the, the disciples for saying, you want us to call down fire like Elijah did. And Jesus rebuked Peter and some of the apostles said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He wasn't rebuking them for having a demonic spirit. He was rebuking them for operating under an old covenant spirit. Hallelujah, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So when I think about executing judgments on kings and I think about executing judgment, I'm not thinking about people. I'm thinking about things that try to rule over our lives that are opposite to the purposes of God in our lives. That's the kind of judgment I'm talking about, executing things to bind their nobles, to bind. Come on, sometimes principalities and powers are not, hallelujah, not always demonic spirits, but their mindsets and ideas and concepts and stuff we've given power to that are governing, ruling thoughts in our minds. And how many know we need to pull down some strongholds and some images that are in our minds that are keeping us from seeing a demonstration of the power of God and entering into true relationship with Him? So when I first preached this a number of years ago, I was preaching this text and, and my attorney came to me after, cause I was kind of preaching in the way, this honor, have all of his saints, we're going to execute judgment. Like, you know, we're going to call down fire from heaven. We're going to, you know, of course, it, it, probably if we had the power to do everything we thought we had, there wouldn't be many cities left in America because some preacher somewhere has been mad at somebody. Hello. But when I think about this, my attorney said to me, he said, Lynn, judgment is not always bad. I said, what do you mean? He said, if we are ever in court and you are the plaintiff and the judge looks down after the court is after the the case has finished and he says, the judgment is in favor of the plaintiff. That's a good thing. Now, how many know when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But how many know he also, in the context of that, was speaking about judgment. Now is the prince of this world. Now is the uh, prince of this world judging if I be lifted up. He was talking about drawing all judgment into himself. In other words, everything that had to do with judgment was now brought into the hands of the one who could execute the judgment with righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? So when I say that we execute the judgment, when I what my attorney said to me, he said, Lynn, do you know what it means when it says, the judge says the judgment was in favor of the plaintiff? Let me be real practical this morning. Touch your neighbor, tell him the judgment was in your favor. Say it another way. The judgment of Calvary's cross was not against you. It was for you. You have been judged, accepted in the beloved. Because as believers, and I think there's a distinction, 
Hallelujah. Your judgment is not in your future. Your judgment is in your past and you have received. Come on, somebody. But the judgment is that, that God has made a decision that is in the favor of his son and the favor of those that are in Christ. And so I said to my attorney, that is some good news. He said, do you know what that means? I said, no, sir, not really, not the fullness of it. He said, it means absolutely nothing. If you don't execute the judgment written. In other words, if you don't cash the check, you could have all of this. And here, here's the thing that Gavin and I were talking in the office a little bit. See, most of us have a relationship with a book. And I love and believe in the Bible, and I absolutely am a absolute, you know, uh, defender of the Word of God. But how many of we cannot substitute a relationship with our knowledge or a relationship with a book for the relationship with Abba who really wants to spend time with us and it's not that difficult. Come on, somebody, because it's really more easily entreated than you think it is. Sometimes I think we think, well, how do, how do I know when God's talking to me? Well, he sounds a lot like me. Oh, y'all that have heard God talking to what I'm talking about. He sounds like me. Of course, he tells me stuff I wouldn't have told myself. Like add a zero to that check. Or go forgive that person you don't care much about. Oh, y'all, y'all don't help me. Come on, somebody. I, matter of fact, I could be, my dad used to say to me, he said, you're the only one I know of could be prophesying and telling a joke at the same time because I have this sense of humor that's always funny. But I mean, my dad said, I, I don't know how you move in and out of the spirit. I said, I'm not moving in and out of it. I'd be riding down the road years ago when A.J. used to come. Some of you may remember A.J. that used to come. He was just, you know, if you met him and had a few minutes to spend with him, you knew this guy is, uh, you know, he's the court jester. You're going to laugh your way around the world with this guy. But him and I'd be riding down the road, and God would start to speak to me, and he'd look at me. He could see a look come over my face. He'd say, you're going to talk to him, you're going to talk to me. And I'd whip out a McDonald's napkin and start writing uh, notes down. I'd say, I'm talking to him right now. So just, but how I many of oh, God can get your attention to begin to draw your focus to what I'm trying to get you to see is that God uses ordinary people and ordinary circumstances that are even busy sometimes to give them extraordinary assignments and extraordinary manifestation. It's just being aware of his spirit, where and when and how. And I think sometimes we're waiting on a church service for God to do something. Come on, somebody. I was in a restaurant back about a month ago and I was just talking to somebody and somebody overheard me talking and the cook came out of the kitchen she said I was just diagnosed with cancer could I get prayer I said absolutely we stopped right there in the middle of the restaurant everybody in the restaurant stopped and had prayer to believe God for a miracle I think sometimes we're waiting my if you ask my daddy in Walmart to pray for you you're gonna get you're gonna get a cleanup at aisle three because he get one of them Pentecostal jerks on him right there you know what I mean <laughs> Somebody said, well, I'll never do that. God probably took that as a personal challenge right there. Hallelujah. But what I'm simply saying, sometimes it doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to, you know, disrupt everybody in the restaurant. Sometimes maybe God wants to show off at a restaurant. Because after all, he wants people to see that he uses ordinary people that can do extraordinary things. So when I'm talking about doing, uh, executing the judgment, that's what brings me back to the book of Judges. Because these 12 judges, all of them did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. 
And I, I won't be able to go through all of them, but I am going to hit a few highlights this morning. But I just want to show you some things about it's ordinary people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Sometimes the most unsuspecting. As a matter of fact, let me just tell this story before I move on. There's, you know, one, probably one of the purest prophetic gifts I've ever seen in my life was an unfiltered, pure gifts of prophetic ministry I've ever seen was in a mentally challenged boy in our youth camp named Dave. And Dave would worship until his clothes were soaking wet with sweat. We're getting ready to start youth camp tonight in, in West Virginia. But Dave used to come. Dave is, is a, a, a too old to come to camp now. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, Dave's married. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And uh, powerful guy. But, but uh, it, we, we started youth camp. Nothing seems to be happening. There's no breakthrough. There seem to be, the spirit of God doesn't seem to be. And so Dave walks up on the platform to take the microphone. Now, some of them were going to stop Dave from taking the microphone. I said, just leave him alone. Let, let Dave have the microphone. Because we're scared what might happen in the subjective realm if we really give liberty for God to move. Now, you're going to get some crazy folk, and sometimes you've got to get control of that. I get that. But Dave took that microphone, and he started to prophesy and minister. And when he did, man, I'm telling you, the altars filled up. i never seen anything like this. This kid could hit it like I'd never seen a prophet hit it before. And just unfiltered, be able to just spot on, boom, 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 just one after the other. God began to use this young man in a powerful way. Another young man that, uh, that uh, he probably will watch this video. I'll, probably, I'll try not to say his name because he watches me. He, he doesn't mind if I share this story, though. But this guy would watch me on TV for a lot, and he uh, a lot of times. And so finally, he got to meet me in South Carolina, and so he was like totally starstruck. Now I don't think of myself at all like that. I don't really understand what the whole deal is of you know how people get starstruck. But this guy was like he's probably on the spectrum of autism somewhere, uh, probably not real bad, but kind of you know if you know him, you find you could see that he kind of doesn't have any filters either. So, so this guy, he, he gets, you know, he, he gets me to sign a book for him. And so I signed a book for him. And then he just like, he followed me around the rest of the day. And I, listen, I don't think I'm anything special. So I, sometimes the most important person that's in the room is not the guy you think that's the most important person in the room. So treat everybody like they're the most important person in the room, because usually the guy you think is not, that's the guy that is. And so anyway, this guy, uh, uh, the, the following year, the pastor said, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to invite him to come to be in this conference because I know he, he loves you. And he said, I'm going I'm to go ahead and pay for his hotel room and just have him invite him to come. So he invited him to come, and then he said to me, would you like to go with me to pick him up? I said, sure. Can I tell you, when I pulled up to pick him up, he was like, oh, my Lord. Dr. House is picking me up for the conference. So we get back to the hotel, said, John, I said, I said his name, Hallelujah. Sorry, John. Hallelujah. I said, John, would you like to ride with me to church? He said, ride in your car, Dr. House? I said, absolutely. You might as well ride with me back and forth, you know, because we're staying at the same hotel. So we're riding back and forth, and we're, you know, talking a little bit. And on the way home from uh, church one night, I get a call that my sister was in the hospital with COVID, and they put her in the hospital, and she wasn't doing well. I looked over at this kid. I said, listen, John, I said, I want you to pray with me about my sister. I said, my sister is in the hospital with COVID. When I said that, John reached over and grabbed me by the hand, started praying in the Holy Ghost. 
And the Holy Ghost fell in that car, man. I said, I have underestimated this kid. I had him work the prayer line with me that night. <laughs> My sister got out of the hospital the next day. Ordinary people. Y'all tracking with me? I, I, see, sometimes we think because we are in ordinary situations that God can't use me. But the truth of it is God will use you. I'm not getting to my text here. I love to, in the times when I sit on the platform sometimes, I love to watch moms in a service who are worshiping and praising. They've got their kids with them and they're praising the Lord. You know, you watch moms from the pulpit and they're like this. Hallelujah. Oh God, I love you, Jesus. Oh God, you're wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Whack! Whack! Oh, two karate chops later. Thank you, Jesus. Ordinary people. Grace gifts. Do you know that the gifts of the Spirit are the charismata? The Greek word is grace gifts. Because God doesn't do it because of me. He does it sometimes in spite of me. That's not an excuse for bad behavior. It just tells me that even in my humanity, God can take what I am and use me. Hallelujah for his glory. And as we go down through the different uh, uh, scenarios of this book, we start out with the first one in the book of, of, uh, of Joshua, and his name is, uh, he's Othniel. He is the old, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to turn all these texts because of time. I'm just going to give you a brushstroke. I'm going to show you a few of these guys. And the first one was uh, Othniel. He was Caleb's little brother. His problem was he had the younger brother syndrome. Again, I'm not trying to tell stories here this morning uh, a lot, but I, I feel like it helps communicate the, 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 the point I'm trying to get across. Am I making sense to y'all so far? I am the second of seven other siblings, or six more besides me. I have a brother that's older than I am who pastors. My youngest son is now becoming uh, his associate pastor and working with my brother in his ministry there. My son, my youngest son has been the producer of our TV program and has done praise and worship, but never seemed to have any real interest in ministry. But all of a sudden, the Lord began to call him, and he is working with my brother right now and doing a great work there with his pastoral ministry as well. But my older brother works with drug addiction in our town. He runs a thing called Life or Drugs. He deals with opioid addicted people and their families. He has a thing called, uh, it's called uh, Life or Drugs. And then for the children of addicts, it is called Team Hope to try to minister to the families of people. How many know this opioid addiction touches every demographic, every family? Come on. It is a national nightmare. And you don't realize, and my brother started to reach out to these people who were addicted and when he did, the people in his church that were financial supporters said to him, we don't know if we want these kind of people in our church until it's their kid. Y'all don't want to help me preach. And so if you're going to minister to these kinds of people, we're going to take our money and go. And so my brother said, I feel like God called me to reach to the hurting people, and therefore, if you got to go, you got to take your money and go. So they took their money and went. And he got in the situation where his building, he had to sell his building. 
And he literally sold his building. It was really a God setup. Now he's in another building now. But here's what I'm after is, in the middle of all that crisis, uh, we were invited to do a conference together. Him, myself, my sister, who is the senior pastor where I, I travel, and my oldest son, who is also a pastor. We were asked to do a conference together. It was four, the four houses. They wanted us to do this conference. When my brother got up to preach, he said, you know, when you have a brother that's successful... You're glad for your brother. But when he's hugely successful and you're about to sell your building, you feel like a failure. And he said, when I go to Lynn's conference, everybody says to me, oh, you're Lynn's older brother. And then he said, when your sister is the successor for your dad's ministry and she takes the church and doubles it in two years and yours, you just sold your building, you feel like a huge failure. And so he's kind of sharing his heart about where he came from. And how God was really leading him to touch these people. So he, he was really feeling the, this, you know, how many, how many know what I mean? Sometimes you can have the younger brother syndrome, the older brother syndrome. And so I had no idea he felt like that. But what he didn't know, and I told it when I got up, was that I went to town because I got a summons to serve on court duty. And I was going to see if I could get out of it, because when you travel like I do and people take vacations to come hear you, you can't call in and say, I can't make it. So I'm trying to explain this to the county clerk in my courthouse of what I do. And she says, oh, I know who you are. You're Jack's little brother. <laughs> so in my conference, he's my brother. But in my city, I'm Jack's little brother because he has breakfast with federal judges, with law enforcement officers, with, with high-ranking officials and business people almost every day and has met with families. The undertaker's got him on speed dial because he's done so many overdose for, uh, funerals, which is tragic. But what I'm saying, he's touched so many families. What I'm simply saying is that what happens is that you are successful in your own paradigm or your own assignment wherever God puts you. And when you function where God told you, he will open the door for you and your success will come. You just got to stay faithful. You see, I didn't get here overnight. I, come on, somebody. Even where I'm at in my ministry, whatever level it is, is that I didn't get here overnight. There was some tough days of walking through some stuff where you just had to not compromise your message and stay in your assignment because it was a day, come on, when people didn't want to hear what I had to say. So he, he was the first one. In other words, he had the younger brother syndrome. Ehud was the next guy. He's left-handed. He was a Benjamite. Now to me, Ehud, to me who speaks, and, and he was left-handed, but the Bible says concerning Ehud that all Ehud was a two-edged dagger. See, I don't know if you're tracking with me or not. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. So I started saying, wait a minute, all of these are pictures of something that we have in the new covenant because how I many know we've got the sword, come on, that's two-edged, that flows from rest. And what that sword does is what Ehud did with it. Ehud was a Benjamite and he was left-handed. How many of the apostle Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin and he was the one who preached the message of the finished work. But what Ehud did with that two-edged sword was he drove it into the belly of Eglon, who the Bible said was a very fat man. Now, if the Bible say you fat, <laughs> you fat. <laughs> 
It's like God saying, and he was old and well stricken in years. Did the Bible say you old? You probably old. My mom used to say, have you noticed there's no old people anymore? I said, mom, when there's nobody above you, you are the old people. It dawned on me the other day. There's nobody above me. Are y'all hearing where I'm coming from? What I'm simply saying is that he took that two-edged sword. To me, this is a powerful thought. Because I think that when we're talking about executing the judgment after the death of Yeshua, after the death of Joshua, it is us executing the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we take the sword of the Word of God, and we have to jam it into an obese religious system. And the Bible is very graphic. It said he stuck it in until the haft closed and the fat closed around it. And when he pulled it out, the dirt came out. Can I tell you that I think the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ does not give us a license to sin. Grace does not enable us to act any way we want to. What it does is it reveals between the thought and the intent of the heart and it lets the dirt get out so God can get an obese, heavy system with flesh. Come on, and the world, come on, the church that's so heavy with flesh, it is a meat market parade of flesh. And God is trying to get the dirt out so that we can execute the judgment written. And every one of these judges, when they executed something of the finished work, there was some changes that came in the land because the problem was every man did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. But this is the book that precedes the book of Samuel and the book of the kings. So what follows these judges is the kingdom. See, the result of us executing the finished work of Jesus Christ is what we sang about. The kingdom of heaven starts to invade here. We're so worried about getting there that we forgot God wants to happen what's there to happen here. And how does that happen? He uses ordinary people that get tired of the conditions of what's going on around them and in their land and the abuses of the enemy that's going on around them with their kings and their nobles. And this honor have all his saints, not just the -the glow-in-the-dark preachers, but everybody in this room. Come on, there is no little Holy Ghost. Kids, come on, adults, mentally challenged, I don't care who you are, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you and you carry something of the presence of God and if our world is going to be changed it's not going to be changed from your couch in your pajamas it's going to get changed as you start to engage in a culture come on somewhere no matter where you're at to become the salt and the light that begins to demonstrate the power of God no matter where we're at because this honor How do we do it? Let the high praises of God be in our mouth. Let a two-edged sword be in our hands. Let's sing from the height of Zion. Let's sing aloud from our beds. Let the children of Zion be joyful in our king. Oh, there's so much to preach here this morning. Because sometimes we're not joyful. We murmur and complain until we have literally complained our way into unbelief. Ouch from the pulpit to the door because I'm the same thing. I've had to stop listening to the news because it vexes my spirit so much. And I'm a whole lot more mentally stable since I quit watching it. 
Because I think a lot of times, man, it is nothing but a satanic propaganda machine with not just the news, but all kind of stuff being fed to the minds of people. When we need to start feeding on the right stuff, because what you eat and what you feed on is what's going to change the dynamics of what's going on in your life and what's going on around about you. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Because even in the midst of bad political climates, God might have a Daniel, a Shadrach, a Meshach, a Bendigo. Come on, that's going to stand up in the middle of it and they got a different spirit on them. And they're not hearing from the earth, they're hearing from heaven. And God knows that principalities and powers need to be have some impartation of the manifold wisdom of God. And principalities and powers are not always demonic spirits. They may be the government officials in your city or in our nation. They need some manifold wisdom from God and some answers that can bring about changes that can bring about come on hallelujah the kingdom of God coming into the earth and I'm not talking about legislating the kingdom I'm talking about a move of the Holy Ghost that transforms hearts and minds and not just makes people do what we want them to do because if you can take my freedom I can take yours but the truth of it is when the Holy Spirit starts to transform and change lives and a real move of the Holy Ghost comes it starts to change a nation hallelujah Tola was, I think it was Tola was the next guy on the list. Tola's name means a worm. His father's name was Pew. And his grandpa's name was Dodo. You know this kid got teased in school. Shamgar was a farmer. He was not a military strategist. He was simply a farmer. And what the Bible says concerning Shamgar is that the highways were unoccupied in his days. And so that the Philistines occupied the highways so that the people of the land had to go by the byways and by the side roads. But how many know that Shamgar was not a military strategist like Moses? He was a farmer. He wanted to plant a seed and let something grow. And I heard the Lord say, I'm calling people who are willing to keep their garden. Because how many know you're a garden enclosed? You're a spring shut up. And I could preach this one until the cows come home. Because everything Jesus did in his redemptive work, he did it in a garden. He prayed in a garden until he sweated. He sweated until he bled. He bled and one drop of blood cut a curse earth and put the curse in reverse of Genesis. It says you've got to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. How many know he prayed in a garden? He was crucified in a garden. He was the seed of God that was planted in in a garden, and they buried him in a garden. Come on, somebody. And when he got up from the dead and Mary found him in the garden, she walks up to Jesus and she said, Sir, I thought you were the gardener. He, in fact, was the gardener, and he just put him back in the garden the finished work of Jesus Christ and reopened the gate of paradise because when they stooped down to look into the tomb, there was an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had laid. What she just saw was the entrance to Eden because the Bible says that God put two angels at the east of the garden not to keep you out, but to keep the way into the tree of life. And when she pointed at the garden, he said, this is the way through the blood-sprinkled mercy seat and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have access to the garden of God again. 
Bible said in their days the highway was unoccupied. That speaks to me of a highway called holiness. Over the next months, I'll probably develop every one of these. Holiness doesn't mean you glow in the dark. It doesn't mean what outfit you have on. It means completely other than or set apart and is consecrated for a certain purpose. The angels of God are not standing before the throne of God this morning going, He behaves. He's got on the right outfit. They're crying, He's holy. Because He's completely other than. There were snuff dishes and tongs in the tabernacle of Moses that were called holy because they were consecrated for the purpose of service in that temple. Do you know what makes you holy? Not that you become a carbon copy of me. Or you cut and paste like you can be some other preacher or somebody. You, what makes you holy is that there's nobody else like you on the planet. And as weird as you are. God might use you in your weirdness. I can remember preaching when I was growing up. If you love something, you've got to give it up because it's your idol. If you love your boat, you've got to give it up. If you love your guitar, you've got to give it up. If you love music, you've got to give it up. And I thought to myself as I got a little bit more mature in the things of God, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. If you've got a boat and you love it, maybe what you ought to do is realize maybe God put something in you with the love of fishing or love of a boat that you could maybe take a kid whose daddy is an addict or you could take a kid and keep him from becoming an addict and take him fishing, pour into his life. Maybe you could pick up a guitar and show somebody else how to play it. You all here tracking with me? Come on. I mean, in other words, we get to realize that sometimes the stuff that God put in us, probably what you're called to do is what makes your eyes light up. I'm not getting far this morning. Probably, I don't know if he'll mind me, but I won't use his name. Anyway, a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles is a good friend of mine. He was a pitcher. He won a couple World Series. I won't say his name for the sake that we might run this on TV. He, he came to our youth camp one year, and he spoke to our youth camp, and he said to the youth, he said, you know what? Probably what you're called to do is what makes your eyes light up. He said, all I ever wanted to do is throw a baseball, and I threw it until I threw it very well. And he said, God used that baseball not only to touch people's lives financially, but through ministry and to be able to touch kids that are coming back now into the league, making ungodly amounts of money that don't know what life is about. And he's able to touch their lives. Are you see here where I'm coming from? A young man that got saved in our youth camp filled with the Holy Ghost is a famous rapper today. Another guy just signed a multi-million dollar contract with the Cleveland Browns to play football. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you get to what your dream is, you might ought to realize maybe it was God who gave you the power to do that so that you can do something for the kingdom and use that kind of a platform. Hallelujah. Gideon was a coward. He was the next one, one of the next ones on the list. He was a coward, and he was high, threshing wheat, hiding it under the wine press. Let me just, before I get to Gideon, there's two I want to really emphasize on. There was a woman named Deborah. Say what? Yeah, God uses women. Who'd have thought? My pastor is a woman. I make no apologies about that. Hallelujah. Pastor Kathy, I appreciate your ministry. Hallelujah. But these women were more brave than these men. Thank God for the women in the church. Sometimes you've taken a bad rap. I apologize for all the abuse you've taken. 
But the reality of it is, is that there was this woman then working with Deborah by the name of Jael. And Jael was in a tent. And Sisera was fleeing in the battle, and the battle was being raged, and they were pursuing this king, and he runs into the tent of Jael. And she tells him, come on in the tent. He says, I'm exhausted. She said, lay down to take a nap. He said, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk. All of this stuff will preach. Because when you give people the sincere milk, and that dude lays down, his name, Sisera, I think, if I'm not mistaken, his name means the carnal mind. And Sisera takes a tent peg, or Pastor Bill, a nail, King James says. She took a nail, tent peg. And the Bible said, while he was sleeping, she went softly, put that nail on the temple of his head, and took a mallet, and drove that nail through that dude's head, and nailed him to the floor of the tent. Hence, she nailed that dude. Say, how does that preach, Dr. Howes? Because the word nail there is the same one that's used where they nailed Jesus to the cross. And how many know sometimes we need to take the nail of the finished work to our carnal mind and run it through there until we get rid of every high thing that lifts itself against the knowledge of God? Are y'all tracking with me? Hallelujah. And so we come down through these heroes of faith. Gideon was a man who was threshing wheat under the wine press and hiding it under the wine press. And when I think about wheat and wine, I think about bread and wine. I'm thinking of these are new covenant elements. How many can see that there are pictures of what Jesus did through these 12 judges? Because how many know when we eat the bread and we drink the blood, we remember the covenant and we stand in that covenant. But here was Gideon threshing wheat and hiding it under the wine press. Had enough for me and mine and my family and nobody else. Don't let my vision get bigger than just me. And God divinely interrupted him one day and shows up and says, Hey, mighty man of valor. He'd be like, who are you talking to? Maybe you need to go see JL. <laughs> or Shamgar, because that dude took an ox goat and killed 600 Philistines. He opened the highway. Because one day he got tired of taking the byways and the sideways, and he said, this is my road. I said, this is my road. I said, this is my road. I'm tired of the sidetrack. I'm tired of dodging the sideways. I'm tired of going through the brush. I'm tired of the briars. I'm tired of, come on, somebody, avoiding what I've been called to do. Come on, touch your neighbor. Say, this is my road. And I'm going to take my road today. I'm taking the highway. And if I take the highway, woe be to anything that gets in my way that's an obstacle to the purpose of God. And then God shows up to Gideon and says, Hey, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says this, Who are you talking to? Or at least I'm thinking that's his thought. Because he had to, he did, he, it took a couple fleeces. For him to really believe God said what he said he could do. Because what God does is he calls what he sees, not what you see. Some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room this morning. I'm going to say it to you again from Abba. 
some of the most powerful people are in the world are in this room. You're carrying something. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Not another one. Same one. Dwells in you. What's our problem? We don't believe what God said about us. So we're waiting on somebody else. Because I'm the least of my father's house. If I, if I told you the history of our family and what God has done through our lives, it would probably amaze you, and I'm sure many of you have stories like that. But how God could take a family of seven kids, mom and dad, who lived on a hill that were so poor, we hardly knew where the next dollar was coming from. Thank God we could raise a little bit of food because we lived on a farm. And literally raise that family to touch the world is a story beyond anything that, that passes my understanding. People come to, in September as our conference, people will come there from all over the world. And what I'm simply saying is that we think of ourselves as the least of the least of the least. And we've been made to believe that's humility. And then here's what Gideon says to God. He said, go in this thy might, and the Lord will save Israel by your hand. And here's what Gideon says. If the Lord is with us, where be all his miracles that our fathers told us of? That's the question. That's the elephant in the room. If God is with us, where are all the miracles? And God said to Gideon, you're going to go as one man, and you're going to defeat the Midianites. I believe the issue is God is calling the church not to just individualism, but to unity. Not, not unity for the sake of unity, but unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Not, not just, are you tracking with me here a little bit? Because we are so divided right now everywhere, not just in the church, but it's like we fall out over genres. I made a post yesterday about genres in Jesus because we nitpick so bad we can't enjoy a service because if somebody sings one phrase we don't like in a song. Come on. On Facebook, come on, you post something and everybody's got a view that's different. They're going to fight. First thing you know, we just divided and fought. And we just, are y'all tracking with me? See, and I believe that's nothing but a trick of the enemy to divide us and conquer. But God said, you're going to do it as one man. And what you're going to do, he said, Gideon, I'm going to call you to take this thing. And you're going to take this thing and defeat the Midianites. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to send a revival. And what this revival is going to do is it's going to, first of all, let 30,000 people leave your church church. This ain't going to preach good. Tell all the mamas, boys, and the cowards to go home and 20-some people, 20-some thousand people left. People are leaving the church by the droves. I, some, some of them got legitimate gripes. I don't misunderstand. Listen, I'm telling you, there's got to be a reformation. I don't know how much time I got to develop some of this this morning, but I, I, I feel like the Lord is saying something to us. 
And what happens is, is that, 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 that people have left the church, but I think what's happening is that God began to reduce it down. By the time this guy goes against the Midianites, he's down to 300. Now, that don't mean the rest of the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That just means God is looking for the people who really want to see God do something. And sometimes that's the Wednesday night crowd. Sometimes that's the ones that come out, come on, that's not just doing it out of duty. That's the ones that come out, the Bible said, he said, when you bring them down to the water, where I'm going to separate them at is at the water. How many of the water speaks of the Spirit? The wheat and the wine speak of the new covenant. But he said, what I'm going to do is I want you to find those who can drink water from their hand. I want you to find a company of people who can drink from the hand of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those that lap water like a dog, tell them going home. And then I want you to take those 300 people without a Scud missile or a nuclear bomb. I want you to tell them to get a, a, a pitcher, put a candle inside of it, and a trumpet in their hands. Now, if I could go with 300. Now, see, when he first called him, he's like, mighty man of valor. But by the time you're willing to take 300 people against the full army... Without any weapons, you a bad dude, in my opinion. Come on, somebody. You ready to say, jump on my chest and wrinkle my vest? Because what they did, then he went down and God told him, go down into the enemy's camp and listen to what they're saying. What's the enemy saying? I saw Gideon like a loaf of bread rolling down the hill. And it rolled down the hill and completely obliterated the tents of Midian. And I heard the Holy Spirit and said, and we being many are one bread. And you're going to smite Midian as one man. And when they blew the trumpet... They blew, the, a trumpet is a ram's horn. A ram's horn comes from the death of a male lamb. When you hear a message coming through the finished work of Jesus Christ, it will crack the earthen vessel, and the light that's in the candle is going to come forth, and the enemy is going. The enemy knows more about what God wants to do sometimes than the church does. Even in the taking of Jericho, we heard about you when you crossed the Red Sea. They knew they were defeated 40 years before the Israelites knew it. What? Somebody come on with me. Maybe, maybe we're preaching too much on the devil instead of what God is doing. Maybe we need to magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. And last but not least, where all of this came from, let me just say this, and I'm going to try to get out your road this morning. I was on the phone with a bishop from Georgia, 
And the Lord had put him on my heart this one morning. I didn't know he was going through some physical problems. And we got on the phone and we were talking. And we were talking about the miraculous and the hunger for the demonstration of the power of God. And I said to him, he's a little older than I am. I said, you know what worries me is that there's a generation among us that's never seen the power of Pentecost like we saw it. I don't know exactly what all the problems are with all this. I think some of it is we've got a whole lot of knowledge about stuff, but we don't know the author of the book. And, you know, we uh, we were talking in the office that I think what we need is not just preachers, but people who have a real, not, not, not just a surface experience, but a real encounter with the living God. He wants to talk to you. Let me say that. Abba wants to talk to you. He wants you to encounter his presence. He wants you to feel his presence. He wants you to demonstrate his power, not just glow in the dark preachers, ordinary people. If you got a nail, use the nail. If you got a boat, use the boat. If you're sham garden, you got an ox goat, use the ox goat. But last but not least, when I got off of the phone with that bishop, the Lord said to me, just as clearly as I'm standing here, he said, send him back a message and tell him Samson's hair is starting to grow. Now I'm saying that prophetically over not only this church, but over I believe what God wants to do in the church right now. Samson's hair is starting to grow. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, there's a return to covenant. Because the secret of the power and the secret of the demonstration is a return to the right covenant. And all of these judges, every one of them has something in it that points us back to that new covenant reality. And ultimately, the dawning of the kingdom that happens in the book of Kings. And so I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said that there is a, hair, Samson's hair is growing. And as I contemplated that, I could literally feel the anointing flow over me as I started to say that. And the Lord said, Samson's hair is growing. I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? He said, many have laid their heads in the lap of a harlot system. And they've sold their gifts and anointings. Come on, somebody. Until they've lost their vision and the religious world has poked their eyes out. Until we've got to the point where we are a laughing stock and they brought us into captivity and mocked the church in what used to be deemed as at least holy and respectable, the tide has turned that if you watch anything on television, if it show anything concerning Christianity or godliness, it's always some bigot or some, you know, uh, they try to make you out to be an idiot if you're a believer. Try, try to shape the thinking. Are you all tracking with me? And, and try to shape the thinking of people to turn the tide on what was good is now evil and what was evil is now good. Am I talking to you all in the room? Come on. But somewhere I believe that there's a stir. And what I'm seeing is not just here, but all over the nation, leaders that really have a true heart for God who are tired of the system, come on, of a harlot that makes you moan and groan for an hour and a half because the money's on the table when you leave. That's a harlot. But real men and women of God are going to get up and preach the gospel 
and say, listen, man, I am not selling my anointing. I am not going to market. This is not a meat market parade of flesh. My anointing is not for sale. I am not a prophet for hire. I am not your hired gun. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to modify or manipulate my message just because it makes the crowd get bigger and we thrill the crowd. Because what we've done is we've replaced anointing with talent. And can I tell you that that mentally challenged boy that stood on the stage named David, well named, although he didn't have the best voice of the choir, he had more anointing in his little finger than most of the people that had a good entertainment style. Because I have been in places where it was so regimented that they had earbuds in their ear set and, and, and 30 seconds were going to mic two and 40 seconds were going to do this. In other words, it was so regimented, it was just like, and I understand if you're putting on a show. But if the Holy Ghost would show up, maybe God is raising up some Samsons that are tired of a harlot system and they're saying, take me to the pillars. I've almost lost my vision and I'm tired of being made sport of and I'm tired of the church being mocked and made fun of and I am tired and I want you to solve Listen, Samson says, listen, if you can solve a three-day riddle, I'm going to tell you the secret of my power and the three-day riddle is there is sweetness in the eater and we are still trying to solve that riddle but let me tell you that that three-day riddle is the three days and three nights of the person and work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the riddle was because a dead lion had honey in the carcass of it. And the riddle is simply solved with this. The death of a king has produced promised land stuff. And if you reach into the death of Christ and in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will shake yourself and your hair will come back. You'll return to the right covenant. Come on, somebody. And you'll shake the system. And at the shaking of the system... Samson dies. The whole system fades off of the scene. Because sometimes we got to be willing to die. Now I'm not talking about I'm not talking about in the sense we used to think. But sometimes we got to be willing to put everything we thought was our anointing, my reputation, who you think I am, my star power, my celebrity status and put it on the altar and say I'm willing to sacrifice, come on, who I am so you can see who he is. Come on, stand on your feet all over this room this morning. Hallelujah. I hope that doesn't come off condemning this morning. Because I don't mean it in a condemning way, but I think there's sometimes got to be a challenge. Because God stepped out of the famous and started getting the Ehuds and the JLs, the Debras, the Shamgars, the Jephthas, whose mother was a harlot. Talk about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I, I could challenge you by saying, what's your excuse today? I mean, look at their, look at their backgrounds.
Look at the backgrounds of the people God used in the Scripture. Broken people that God took and did something with it. Let me tell you something. God loves broken people because broken people is all there is. Are you all tracking with me this morning? Hallelujah. I was listening to, you, I mean, you, may, you may think me unreligious here, but I watched a documentary on, on Hulu recently on this, this country music singer. I, hope, I, I, I guess it'd be hard to say his name, but uh, it, you may or may not know who it is, but he's pretty, pretty new right now called Jelly Roll. Powerful documentary, and I just sat there and wept. I heard the guy's song passing one day on the radio. It's called Somebody Save Me. And they showed in this documentary, he was doing a concert. This guy came from a background of substance abuse. And, and really, you can hear in his voice, I mean, he talks a little bit about having come through some religious abuse. And I, could, I really wish I could get to this guy because I really think I could help him. Who was pushed away probably by legalism, didn't think he was good enough. But he wrote a song called Somebody Save Me. And if you see this auditorium, he's singing to all these people who are going through the same kind of brokenness. And they're all tears running down their faces because this guy had done time in prison and his wife, they don't even, they're so authentic that it's almost brutal. His wife was a, 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 I think, a a sex worker in Vegas and she doesn't make any bones about that. But in other words, he's he's tattooed up. and, and, And as I watched this, I thought to myself, this right here is the groan of creation. Somebody save me. Come on, somebody. Somebody save me. Save me from myself. And he's talking about the lifestyle. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm sitting there, here's the church world trying to test the waters of freedom to see what we can get by with. And they're leaving that for addiction. While people in addiction are trying to say, I need to get out of this and get into that. But can I tell you, both of those are the extremes of religion is empty when it has no relationship with Abba. And when it becomes about rules instead of about relationship, then, then, then come on, the first thing you know is I'm disqualified, I'm not good enough, I'm not holy enough, I don't glow in the dark, I've got this, I've struggled with that, I've got that, the other thing. Come on, somebody, and we can't even be authentic with each other. That's why we can't hardly have fellowship, is because we're afraid somebody's going to find out I'm human. Is this too... <laughs> And at the same time, the world is screaming, somebody save me. And he's not talking about save me from God. He's saying, save me from myself. This lifestyle I'm living is killing me. And I'm broken beyond repair thinking. That's what the song says. I'm broken beyond repair. Don't waste your time on me. And I started to weep and I heard this song because I thought, my Lord, this is the... This is the cry of creation. Somebody save me. Save me from myself. I'm so broken. I'm helpless beyond repair. And into that mix needs to be an introduction of a Jesus who says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest because I want to take ordinary people. 
I let them do extraordinary things. As I want to tell them, you're a mighty man of valor. And I think God might use people like that more than he does sometimes religious dudes. Hallelujah. I don't know how to end a service like this, Pastor Gavin. Hallelujah. The only thing I can say is, you know what? I feel like this morning we need to just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I'm going to open these altars. I mean, you might be here and say, Lord, somebody save me. I'm broken beyond repair. But he, see, I'm going to tell you, he can fix you. There's no brokenness beyond his help. Hallelujah. And I think the other side of the coin is, Lord, here am I. Maybe I felt like this morning I'm ordinary too. For the first time, I think maybe God can use me. Well, I'm just a baseball player. I'm a soccer player. I'm a football Maybe that's what your mission field is. Hallelujah. My mom and dad poured into their kids. Their kids are touching the world. My dad and mom did too to some degree, but their kids are literally touching the world. Hallelujah. Because God stepped into the life of a family who was notorious for alcoholism and substance abuse and crime in our city and turned it around to be the very family that would help that city. Hallelujah. That's my story. Hallelujah. So this morning all over this place, let's offer ourselves to God and say, here I am, Lord. I know it's 12 o'clock, and if you need to slip out, I get that. And I'm almost finished here this morning, but you say, Lord, here am I. I might be a Gideon, a JL, I might be a Ehud, I might be a Tola, I might be a Jephthah, I might be a Samson. You might be a person who has failed. You might be a ministry who had a moral failure. I came here to tell you, Samson's hair's growing back. Hallelujah. I said Samson's hair is growing back. Hallelujah. God has not changed his mind. Hallelujah. Reach over, get somebody by the hand right there where you're standing. Father, in the name of Jesus. We offer ourselves this morning as living sacrifices. We say today as we leave here, we're going to sing a new song. We're going to sing the song of redemption. We're going to sing the song of Zion. We're going to sing aloud from our beds. We're going to carry a two-edged sword that's not condemning, but life-giving and powerful. And we're going to carry the presence and the mandate of the king who is not ready to evacuate, but to occupy. Hallelujah. So raise up judges, saints who have this honor, the honor to execute the judgment written, the honor 
that is in our favor. The honor that binds principalities and powers and their nobles with fetters of iron and chains so that substance abuse has no hold any longer. Lord, I break the power of addiction this morning, even in this room, and people that may be struggling with addiction of whatever sort it might be. We pray the power of God to break that addiction. Lord, I pray that you will break principalities and powers and nobles and bind those thought processes with the chains of truth that don't allow for anxiety attacks and depression and spirits of fear. I feel like specifically this morning, the Lord is delivering from a spirit of fear. I feel like the Lord is delivering from panic attacks where the moment you feel like you've had some kind of a thing going on in your body, you think you're dying. In the name of Jesus, I think that spirit of fear was released during COVID. I break it right now in the name of Jesus. I bind that spirit of fear, that spirit of fear of death. Come on, somebody. Get, come on, let's get in agreement today. I break the power of that thing that separated families and divisions over fear instead of faith. Lord, that hallelujah, a new hallelujah encourage. We bind that king with chains today. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for, we've already prayed for healing all over this room today, but for healing, for physical manifestations. And Lord, we say you are welcome in this place and in our lives. Manifest yourself through us, even as we leave this building today. In Jesus' name, amen.